0: Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. I thank you for taking time out to listen to me today and those of you that have been with me for a while thank you so much i know i have a cult following out there and i appreciate you guys and for the new people welcome welcome it's okay to disagree with me it's okay to not like some of the things that i'm saying i'm okay with that i just want you to think and i want you to question everything and everyone around you and if there's someone around you who, <laughs> who 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 gets angry and 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 gets adamant about getting in your face and saying, how dare you question me? How dare you challenge me? That is not the person for you because this is the only way we're going to be able to get through a lot of the things that we're dealing with. This is this is how you grow. This is how you learn. And over the years, like I've said before, I've, a lot of my viewpoints have changed. They've evolved. Some have just done a total 180, right? And, you know, it, it's just it's been interesting, even with some of my thoughts in general on religion and non-religion, as you study and get a better understanding, but not only study history, but, you know, I say talk to the people in your life, you know, talking to some of the black people in my life, you know, especially my mom and some of the older people, and, kind of get a getting a better perspective of what was happening there because some of the best accounts are the first hand accounts of the people that went through these transitions the people that suffered the most when a lot of these things were first being applied and so and that's not to say that it's not applied now you know Jim Crow is still alive and kicking And anyone who tells you that it's not, they are lying to you. And I hope you guys can hear me. I'm trying to use my outside voice again, so I'm working on that, so thank you. But um, it's a lot to get to. So I just went on to make this week's show part two, Worldwide White Christian Terrorism Part Two because it's a lot that I did not get a chance to get to last week. And I was rushed because I'm looking at the time, and I didn't really want to go into overtime. And I'm actually trying to find a way to reduce the shows, and um, the time anyway, reduce the show's time to really about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, I plan on putting together some things. I'm finally going to go on YouTube and put some stuff up there. And then there are some other things that I want to do. So, you know, I know you're like, oh, Kim, you said this before. Yeah, but I was not well. My health was out of control. There were other things happening there. And, you know, like I said last week, a lot of the anger and resentment that I had, you know, is gone. I won't say it's totally gone, but I feel much better. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day, and I was talking about me and just my life. And I was like, you know, I have peace in my heart, peace in my mind, peace in my emotions, and peace in my house. And they were like, oh, that's a good status update. And I was like, I'm not quite sure, because some people may take that as a challenge. And (laughs) that opens up a whole different bucket of worms, and we're not trying to do that. But I have peace in my life now. You know, I'm not blaming myself for things that were not my fault. I'm not taking blame for things that were not my fault, Um, you know, and I'm moving forward to do some of the things that I've wanted to do. And, you know, last week I was talking about a number of things because an opportunity has pretty much presented itself to me. And so if I pursue that it's going to be a wonderful thing, but it pushes everything else back even further. Now, for those of you that haven't been around, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work on a documentary. Right now I'm working on the research aspect of it, trying to find, you know, more videos and pretty much trying to figure out how much the licensing fees and all of that is going to cost me. And, of course, I'm going to have to go through an attorney to make sure that these things are done right, and um, it's going to require some travel. So that's another reason why I'm getting ready to monetize this platform. And it's not something that I really wanted to do. There will still be information out here. You know, I'll still be posting stuff and still doing the show. But, um, you know, there's some things that, you know, sometimes I go in depth on things. Sometimes I just give you just, you know, cursory um you know, understanding or information about whatever subject matter. But, you know, we have to do something. And for those that have been around, you know, I don't ask for money because that's not my thing. But, you know, um, with business venture, this is going to be interesting. Um, Like I said, there are opportunities out there, but the problem is it takes money for some of these opportunities. And, you know, even though you may have your own money, you're not necessarily trying to sink all of your money into that because you still have to live, you still have to eat, you have other obligations. So it's just really interesting. And one day, once I have everything in place, I'll share with you what's going on with me in that respect. So we're going to move on, but I'm going to go ahead and read the notes for this week's show. It's the same one from last week. So Worldwide Christian Terrorism, White Christian Terrorism Part 2. Are you paying attention to what's happening around the world? The uprisings, rebellions, protests, and revolutions are happening, and the mainstream media has been virtually silent. Why is that? Will the American people ever stand up for themselves? Are you prepared for the impending fallout and chaos? What will it take to make you question and challenge the status quo? And so that opens up a lot of different areas there. You know, last week, you know, I kind of threw Kanye into the discussion. I'm not going to do that this week, but an all Kanye, all hour, two-hour show is coming up because I need for you all to understand what Kanye is doing and how it does you know, fall into this category um, and how it parallels, and there's a lot going on there, but all right, so I need to pick up from last week. So I was telling you guys a little bit about some of the fighting that's happening all over the world, Um, and I'm pretty sure that you all have seen what's going on over in Bolivia and how why Evo Morales was pretty much pushed out of office, you know, why that happened and and why the people are upset and why we should be paying attention to that. And, again, it goes back to U.S. imperialism. So before I get started, I think it's important that I define some terms for you guys, Um, you know, I hate to assume that people know this, but it's important to do this because there are some people that are not familiar with these terms or they may be familiar with it but not have, you know, real understanding of it. So basically, I'm going to get to it, but all right, last week I brought up a term identitarianism, or identitarian, right? And I had someone tell me that they had never heard of the term until I mentioned it last week, and they went and looked it up, and, it, you know, it was, like, scary, right? I tell you all these things because I do want you to look it up. I need for you to understand what it is because what's happening now, you have a lot of these white people out here playing these Jedi mind tricks with you. And, again, I told you that, you know, you will have white people sit there and argue with you for hours. And in some cases they know they're wrong, but they're banking on the fact that you don't know anything or enough about that particular argument to pose, you know, a argument that's solid. So, again, you know, we talk about white mediocrity and, and, <laughs> and how they say it with confidence, they stand in boldness. Without apology or anything, why? Because it's worked for them. They are banking on the fact that you do not understand and that you do not know. That is the purpose of this show because I'm trying to empower you. Now, to kind of give you a better idea as some of the things that you may have seen before or you may not have thought about it, it just may have just gone right over your head, but I'll give you an example when Omarosa was part of the administration and people had asked her about Trump, and initially, before she was, you know, rift, right, reduction in force, fire, she would say that she did not believe that Trump was racist, but that he was racial. I'll say that again. You'll have, you know, this was Omarosa, but then you'll hear others. I've seen people make this argument. They will say that they are not racist or someone that they admire or someone they're caping for. They'll tell you that they're not racist, but that they're racial. I need you to look that up. And that ties into the identitarian politics, as well as a lot of the white pathology or white supremacy that's being touted out here. And what they're trying to do is dress it up. they're window dressing it, right? And they have seen the sleek message that comes out of Europe regarding structural racism and and how they're able to kind of talk around the issue and how just the you know the, the finding the language. You know, to talk about racism is somewhat difficult in Europe, is there, but the, the white powers that be have really found different ways to kind of circumvent that and in their own way try to silence the black and brown, you know, people and other folks, the marginalized communities over there, trying to silence them while they're trying to have this conversation because they don't want to have it and they truly do not want to have the same type of dialogue and conversations in the language that is basically pervasive in the United States because, you know, again, they're not trying to think that hard. They're not trying to work that hard. So you have people out here that are trying to redefine white supremacy, white pathology, and trying to give it more of a pluralistic facade, right? And what they're doing is they're trying to convince us that this particular type of ideology or belief system um, deserves its, its, its own share of coverage. It deserves some type of understanding, which is why you see them attempting to normalize this white nationalism, trying to normalize and provide security for those that have this particular mindset. You especially see that in the United States. The reason for that is because this is where a lot, of, a lot of this type of mindset, this ideology, these ideas, it came from the United States. Now, what happened in World War II with Hitler, in the rise of Hitler, a lot of the plays and a lot of the ideas and the tactics and strategies that they used, they got that from America. So this is another reason why I tell you guys, you need to read, you need to do the research. But what they're trying to do is provide security and respect for this type of corrupt ideology and thought process. That is what it boils down to. They're trying to provide security, stating that these people have a right to say what they want to say. You know, especially here in America, you know, you have people talking about, you know, the First Amendment right to say whatever you want. And that's not exactly true. The First Amendment applies to the government and, you know, the the over um, – it applies to the government basically running over the citizens and our right to speak up and out about the abuse. It does not mean that Joe and Joette and Pookie and all of them could run around and say I'm going to harm you in some kind of way or harm you or defame you in some manner. You can say it. But there's a price to pay for that. There are consequences to that. And unfortunately, you have a lot of people in this country that do not understand how that works. That's not what I'm here to talk about today. So I brought up the term identitarianism, right? There's another term that's being thrown around out here that I think you all really need to look up and get a better understanding of this particular phrase is human biodiversity, right? I'll repeat it again because I kind of stuttered. Human biodiversity. And this is biological racism. So you all, I'm pretty sure many of you all have heard of, you know, um, scientific racism, especially when it comes to like the bell curve. And you go back and you look at all of the stuff like the phrenology and all of this over the years, and these are things that they do to try to prove that, you know, anyone that's not white is inferior, right? So go and look that up, human biodiversity, and I'm telling you these things so that you can protect yourself and understand what these people are saying to you, because they will confuse you and have you agreeing to all manner of fuckery, right? Right? So um, I'm going to talk about the human biodiversity a little bit later. I may get to it, but if I don't, just go and look it up. Because like I said, I prepare for these shows sometimes, you know. But something that I do want you all to pay attention to, or just think about it, um, the term social justice warriors, right? So we all know that was coined by Richard Dawkins. But you need to ask yourself, where did that come from? And I want you to go out and, if you don't remember, look up this woman who coined herself a god warrior. It's related. All of that is related. And, you know, I really don't want to get into that right now or this week, but uh, just a little something to send you down the rabbit hole, right? And you'll find a lot of different things. of uh, <laughs> If you go out and you, you know, look that type of thing up and to get a better understanding of what's going on. So moving on, you have people like Trump and other white nationalists who are out here saying that they don't believe that white nationalism is a global threat. And there is a reason for that. White nationalism, in the respect that we're seeing it now happening, all of that started in this country. It started in the United States and it spread across the world. I want you to also go and look up David Duke and what David Duke did during the Obama administration. He and many other white nationalists left America and went across the world spreading the ideology or, or the gospel of white nationalism, of white pathology, of white supremacy, whatever you want to call it here but i need for you all to understand and it was going on even before david duke and these other people left the country but i need for you all to kind of tether it and you know at least if you start there you can reverse engineer it and backtrack and see how it all happened but i need you to understand a lot of what's happening right here and right now and interestingly enough david duke was kicked out of almost every civil every civilized country that he squatted in right look that up. Get a better understanding of what was going on and how all of this ties to Steve Bannon and Breitbart and people of that particular ilk. You know, and it goes beyond that. You know, there are a lot of folks out here. You don't know their names. They could be walking down the street next to you. There are a lot of people pouring a lot of money into this white pathology into this white nationalism and most of these people you do not know their names and so it's interesting because when i talk about this and the way that i'm presenting it today it kind of reminds me of you know some of the conversations i've had with people that are deemed conspiracy theorists right and that's not what i'm doing to you you know this is provable you know and what's interesting is that some of the conspiracies that were out there have come have <laughs> some of them have come to be known as true not all of them because you got some humdingers out there and unfortunately because of that that's one of the reasons why you have this state of confusion that's happening in this country right now And it's really unfortunate because a lot of the people that are perpetuating or, you know, touting these particular conspiracy theories, they're making money off of you, and they're making a lot of money off of you, and you need to be careful. So I need for you guys to pay attention to what's happening, pay attention to the the people that Trump gravitates towards and the people that he congratulates. Because the majority of them are, you know, fascists, dictators, despots, demagogues, whatever you know terminology you wish to use. That is what the majority of these people are. If you weren't paying attention this week, um, Stephen Miller, who's basically in charge of molding and and creating and 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 you know implementing immigration policies in the country, uh, his emails were exposed or printed or however you want to call that, but his emails and, and the commentary or the correspondence between him and other people, that was published, you know, in the past week regarding his affiliation with white nationalists, Nazis, All of those people. This is not anything new. We've been saying this about Stephen Miller from the very beginning. Even his uncle has come out and spoken out against him and his stance and his beliefs in this regard because Stephen Miller, if you're not familiar, he's Jewish, and I believe he's a second-generation family. His family immigrated to this country, you know, and so this is one of the reasons why you see Black and brown people being deported, you know, with impunity in this country, but they're welcoming white immigrants, especially those from Western and Eastern Europe. So, you know, look up what's happening with Stephen Miller. It's important that you all know this. Do not let this pass by. That particular situation deserves discussion. It deserves attention. And if you let this go by, just like we've allowed a number of other things to go by, you know, that is what emboldens and empowers them to continue with this fuckery that's happening right now. And so, um, you know, there's a difference between a coup and an uprising. And I know you're like, Kim, you just jumped. Yeah, because I'm talking about global, I'm talking about, you know, the um, the. Spread of white nationalism. And so, you know, we need to define some terms, right? A coup is a sudden violent and illegal seizure of power from a government. Again, a coup is a sudden violent and illegal seizure of power from a government. An uprising is an act of resistance or rebellion, a revolt. Again, uprising is an act of resistance or rebellion, a revolt. Imperialism, is a policy of extending a country's power and influence through diplomacy or military force. Again, imperialism is a policy of extending a country's power and influence through diplomacy or military force. And it's important that you all understand these terms and understand the difference between these terms, but also understand the very thin line that separates these terms which is why they're easily confused, which is why you'll have people coming out here to spin these stories and spin it in such a way that would have you hating the people who were right and loving the folks that are wrong, right? And, you know, again, the media is a part of this, you know, this this mass confusion, the government, all of this. And so this is why, you know, we challenge you to think for yourself. We challenge you to go out here and question these things. We challenge you to go out and do this research on your own. So to give you um, an even more thorough definition of imperialism, I went to internationalrelations.org, right, internationalrelations.org, and I'm going to read you the definition of imperialism. This is, you know, a longer one, and then I'm going to read you the definition of colonialism. You know, because you hear us talking about colonialism as well, and you need to understand the terms. Imperialism is understood as a policy of a country in which that said country influences other countries or territories through military force as well as other means of power. So the key point to understanding imperialism has to do with the emphasis on the idea of overtaking others based on power. It is using their power to control others outside of their Okay. The definition of colonialism. Colonialism is defined as a practice in which a power sets up colonies or settlements elsewhere and other countries or territories for the political and economic benefit of the colonizing country. I'll read that part again, for the political and economic benefit of the colonizing country. So this state will often take over other areas, setting up their own political and economic systems with the intent of using the colony's materials, land, etc., gas, all of that, right, to benefit the colonizing country. So the establishment of administrative influence over an idea is a type of imperialism right and so it says here thus a core difference between colonialism and imperialism is the idea compared to the practice or implementation of the ideas so imperialism serves as the underlying ideas whereas colonialism is an established form of imperialism and if you want to read more about that you can go to internationalrelations.org/colonialism dash VS dash imperialism. So it's colonialism versus imperialism. And you can find that verbatim there. I just had to write that down because I wanted to make sure that I defined these terminologies before I went into this conversation. So all right, y'all, I'm not sure if you're ready or not. You know, I wasn't sure if I was ready or not when I put this together. But it's a lot to cover. You know, I thank you for taking time out to listen. And, yes, I'm a little bit long-winded. But last week, and even with the show notes for this week, it says, you know, will the American people ever stand up for themselves? And so I want to kind of, you know, talk about that a little bit more. Because it's important that you all understand this. And I see this question being posed in many different variations across social media, um, when I listen to talk radio, different podcasts, and and you'll hear these things in different explanations. And there are some wonderful podcasts that are out there. I, you know, I posted a podcast. Um, I forget the name of it, but it was talking about what will we do you know, at the end of the world or something about the apocalypse. And so I had some people critiquing it on the People of Color Beyond Faith page. Like, how can someone that's secular put something up, you know, talking about apocalyptic terms and end of the world and all of that? And what it did, it showed me you didn't even bother to click on a link to see what they were talking about. It's a political show. It talks about a lot of the same things I talk about, social justice. It talks about, Um, you know, everyday lives, it talks about culture, politics, all of these different things. And it's important that you understand, you know, you just can't go, this is like people who'll read the, the, the headline of an article and then post a whole rebuttal, and then, you know, we'll turn around and say, well, that's what they said in the article. And they're like, oh, or we'll say, did you read the article? No, they just read the headline. But there are a lot of great, you know, podcasts that are out there. You know, Here to Slay with, you know, Dr. Tressie McCottum and Dr. Roxane Gay. That's another podcast that I listen to and I enjoy very much. I get a lot of information from them. And so, you know, there are a lot of people, and there are even some Christian podcasts that I listen to. Because, again, I need to make sure that you all understand my stance here. I am anti-white Christianity. I am anti-white church, but I am not anti-black Christian, and I am definitely not anti-black church. And there is a reason for it, and it's because I understand the difference between the two. The black church, when it was initially formed, now again, they put their own black preachers in a pulpit and told them what to preach in order to make the enslaved people more docile. I understand that. I'm not taking that argument away. But the black church, as it stood then, and even to a certain extent now, it's about hope and change. And this is one of the reasons why you have the white establishment that are upset and a little concerned about the black free thinkers, the black atheists, the black you know secularists, the black humanists, you know, the black non-believers, the black skeptics that are out here, because they do understand. What was being taught and how it pretty much kept a lot of black and brown people in check and they are afraid of losing that control and losing that power. But I am here to say, you know, because, again, I talked about how my mom researched religion. And, during, you know, during her time of research and getting an understanding, initially she was going to church, but eventually she walked out of it because she finally understood that church as it is now, westernized Christianity, is a business. And not only is it a business, it's a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid scheme, but I digress, but the black church, from my understanding and from what I've read and from what I experienced, the black church was there to help meet the needs of the people. So if someone was being evicted because they couldn't pay their rent, they would have these rent parties, and that just wasn't the church, you know, raising money through bake sales, you know, selling chicken, barbecues, all of that, even within people, even within the projects. I'm not sure if you all are familiar with good times or not, but they would have the rent parties to make sure that people had a place to stay. They would provide them with food, you know, it's like, you look. And, and with the church, the black church specifically, there's a lot of that happening in some of these churches, and that's another reason why. Because I look at the secular communities, and I look at, you know, these people's communities, because you have some, they're like, oh, well, we're not secular. All right, so people's communities, right? You're not doing anything to come in and to help the people, and the arguments that I've seen over the years, you're just angry at the church, you're angry at what happened to you, you're angry about you know opportunities that were taken from you. Hey, I'm one of them, and you know, my mom and I had a chance to talk about a lot of this stuff before she died and and she acknowledged some things, and you know she told me you know she apologized for. You know, not valuing education as much as she could have, and some things that were opportunities taken away from it. So I understand where some of my anger came from, but over the years, after reading and 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 understanding and just looking at this, you know, it's my thought process has evolved on a lot of this now. I've talked about this a number of times. Black Christianity, for the most part, is built on hope, faith, and change. White Christianity is built on fear and oppression, and it remains that way today, which is why you see them, you know, breaking out into fights when the Southern Baptists made a statement against white supremacy. So, all of this is tied in, and this is spread across the world, right? And that's one of the reasons why sometimes I get angry with the black church, especially with what I'm seeing them do in places like Africa. You know, so you already have the white colonists or, you know, the white colonists and the Chinese colonists going over there and robbing them of the, the, you know, the, the resources that are still there. You have a lot of these white and black churches going over there and robbing them of the little bit of money and dignity that they still have left. You know, and, you know, we've talked about this, so I'm trying not to get off topic too badly, but, you know, there is a purpose to a certain degree, of the black church in black communities. These secular communities, what are you doing? Are you setting up offices to help people with their light and gas bill? Are you setting up offices so that you can distribute food to the people? I talked about this last week. You know they have enough money, they're going to make it to the 21st, 22nd, but there are still 10 more days left in the month. They got babies. Those babies are looking up at them saying, we're hungry. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, as I got older and I started thinking about, my mom made a lot of sacrifices for us. You know, you know in some cases, the parents will let the kids eat, and then they'll go and eat whatever the kids left over. You know, it's just, and, and, and it's getting even worse. I I, I It boggles my mind. When I hear someone is a black libertarian, and then I turn around and ask you if you know who Ayn Rand is, and you have no clue, and I'm like, you don't understand what you're getting yourself tied into. But when I hear, you know, black people wanting to take a lot of these resources out of the black community, I'm like, what are you going to replace it with? Besides, you know, besides rhetoric and platitudes which is just basically shit talking. And you're seeing a lot of this coming into fruition. There is a reason why I talk about faith-based initiatives. There is a reason why I brought it up last week, talking about Paula White taking over that office, um, dealing with faith-based opportunities and money and all of that. There are reasons I want you to look into that. And I've told you over the years, and I'm going to state it again now, this is a trick to take these different entitlements. Well, they call them entitlement programs, and so we'll just say, you know, we'll call it, you know, programs that are out there to help the people, and all of this goes back to the New Deal. Now, when you talk about a lot of these conservative libertarians, and especially in the secular community, What's happening now is like a damn wet dream for them. Having the ability and the legal safeguards to discriminate against people makes them happy, while also watching these communities crumble and fall. And what's happening is they're pushing these monies out to the different churches and telling them to go out And to help the people. And we all know that across the board, there's a lot of corruption in the church. I don't think people will deny that. And if someone does deny that, there are plenty of, you know, know, information in court cases and, you know, whether it's criminal or civil that are out here to support your argument. And this has been happening in all churches across the board over the years. And when I say all churches, I'm talking about all denominations across the board, not every single church, right? And they're trying to push this money to them because they know that that particular infrastructure will fall. It will fail because the majority of these churches do not have the people in place. They do not have the knowledge or the subject matter experts to help them implement a plan that will actually help the people. And so – It's important because if you go back and you look at the New Deal, the New Deal was a federal program, but in order to get the New Deal passed, FDR had to make a deal with the Dixiecrats, which were the Democrats, which was basically the racist South. You know, the North was just as racist, but he had to make deals with them, and that is how the New Deal, the the programs, how they were pushed down to the state. And then the states were able to determine who was eligible and who was not eligible for those particular programs, which is why black people were not eligible to get Social Security, not eligible to get, um, you know, unemployment, not eligible to get the GI Bill and all of these different things because they were being discriminated against. So when you hear us talking about the state, that is, there's some context right there for you, for you to get a better understanding the state. And also with the housing loans and the redlining and all of that, the state. So last week I talked about Kianga Yamada Taylor's book. I may have said her last name was Harris. If I said that, I apologize. Her last name is Taylor. And, you know, and we've talked about this on the show, how the government or the state Created the middle class, how they created the white enclaves, the suburbs that are surrounding black communities, that are surrounding urban and city communities. That is done on purpose. And what's happening now is that white people are (laughs) tired of the commute to work. They're pushing black people out of the cities. So they call it gentrification. I call it being deported out of the community that you've been in for two, three, four generations. I call the inner cities. I call them reservations. People take, you know, they, they, they take umbrage with that, but that's basically what it is, while at the same time not providing services in those communities so the streets are torn up. You know, you have dilapidated homes, some of them falling on themselves. They're not cleaning up those areas on purpose. They're already depressing the real estate values of your home and land. They're doing it even more. And I'm sitting here looking at Deval Patrick, you know, joining the race for president. I need you guys to go and look up how he helped these billionaires during the 2000, 2007, 2008 um, housing crisis and how he made money off of that and how he shielded these white landowners and these corporations from being prosecuted, from being scrutinized, and he made money off of that. So no to Deval. I'm not voting for him either. All right. So, anyway, let me get back on topic. It's under. It's important that you guys understand this and how you know the government is still helping them to create chaos and havoc in these particular communities. And I can really go into that, but I'm not because I'm just going to get stuck. But you know, this Christianity, Westernized white Christianity, you know, it's it's a marketing. Brand, if you will, and it's being spread all over the world and it's spreading terrorism because you need to remember the Ku Klux Klan was also and still is a Christian organization and they touted themselves as well. And so, what you're seeing happening with this particular administration is they're basically luring a lot of these black and brown ministries um, with money. They're pushing more money at them. And, I mean, you need to go back and look at what happened with the new deal. You need to go back and look up what happened with the Southern strategy and how that's implemented now, which is why so many Republicans, you know, pretty much own the governorships. It got to the point that Democrats didn't even bother to, 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 you know, back anyone running for governor in certain states. Because, the, you know, the Republicans had it tied up. A lot of that is due to gerrymandering, you know, suppressing the vote. All of this is tied together because 45 and white men like him, they believe that the only people that should have a right to vote or make any type of policies or law or have any type of credibility are white male landowners. And so you need to understand these things to get a better understanding of what's happening around the world and why it's spreading. So going back to what I was saying earlier, you have people asking why aren't Americans standing up and fighting back? And so with that, I want to say that Americans have been rising up and fighting back and and, and saying these things, but they weren't the right kind of Americans. They're a little bit too black and brown. And the black and brown activists and protesters have been taking the hits. They have been criticized. They've been, you know, they've been vilified. They've been, you know, drummed out, deplatformed, you know, all of these different things. Because the powers that be, and that includes some of the black and brown overseers out here, are not happy because that's not the message they want to see. So, yeah, they want you to go out there. They want you to protest. They want you to go out there and march and do all of these things and bring some attention to some of these things. But they they want you to convey their message. And when you refuse to do that, then you are a problem. Understand that. You are a problem when you will not carry their water. You will not carry their message. You will not submit and subjugate yourself to their fucking abuse and bullshit. Now you're a target. And, you know, I was talking to my mom. And she was talking about the 50s and the 60s and, you know, the 70s. And for what you all, you all need, my mom and, you know, my aunts and uncles, they grew up on the west side of Chicago. They grew up with people like Fred Hampton. When I found out one of my aunts was, a you know, part of the Black Panthers, I was like, whoa it's like, It was like, you know, that she was an activist and she was a protester. You know, it made me proud. You know, and and they're just fucking tired, y'all. They've, they've been out there. They've been marching. They've been wearing them heavy-ass boots. They've been doing all of that. They took the hits. My mom and my aunts and uncles, they moved from Mississippi to Chicago. You know, my mom and, you know, a couple of my aunts, you know, they had – progressive issues with their health growing up. Because in Mississippi, they didn't have a lot of doctors. In particular, didn't they didn't have a lot of dentists that could help you with those issues. And so, you know, as they got older, they continued having problems. And, you know, I'm saying all of that to say this, they paid a price. They paid a price. So did we. Because see, They, A lot of the older generations have a lot of unprocessed trauma. Many of them won't even talk about the shit that they went through, the times they were called the N-word, the times that, you know, white people had the right then, and they still got the right now. They had the right then if they saw a black person just beat on that black person, kick them off the sidewalk, hurt and harm them, get them fired from their jobs with no fucking recourse. Just like right now, you see them out here, you know, fighting and shooting and doing this against a lot of black and brown people. This is what they're used to. And so black people have been out there fighting. But one of the questions, you know, that comes up: Why should we continue to fight for people that aren't, you know, aren't willing to show up? You know, when we're out there, you have some white people that are showing up, but not a lot. When they had that women's march. You saw people coming from all over the world going out to march about that. And what I want you all to pay attention to and go and do some research on this, during the black power in the the civil rights movement, that is when they upheld the white feminist movement. That was done as basically to kind of overshadow the black power in the civil rights movement. And the same thing was done with the movement with Black Lives Matter and other black and brown social movements that were taking place around the country. That is one of the things that they do. They'll raise another group to take some of the attention to divert some of the attention away. So you need to understand why a lot of this is intentional, and how white feminists betray black women. you know, and so I'm not really going to go into that, but you know there are a number of reasons why you know people in the US aren't you know rising up in the fashion that you see happening around the world a lot of us are just fucking tired you know and and you know there are other issues you know this one woman i was talking to she was like i'm not getting out there and marching until you know we, <laughs> till we stop acting like damn fools out right here, you know. And, and it's interesting because we I sat and I talked with her and I heard her rationale and some of the things that you know she brought up made some sense, right? And you know you're hearing that across the board, but there's an article on commondreams.org. And it's entitled, Why Aren't People in the U.S. Rising Up Like Those Elsewhere in the World? And it's a good article. Um, Get what you need out of it and, you know, disperse of the rest. There's, all right, so there's an article that I want you to read on time.com. America's Lost Battle Against White Nationalist Terrorism. Again, time.com. America's lost battle against white nationalist terrorism, and I stopped giving the authors' names because you know I can kill a name. I can kill some words too, but I definitely can kill your name. Um, Another article that's on the Atlantic: White Nationalism's Deep American Roots. Again, White Nationalism's Deep American Roots. It's important that you understand that, and I'm going to send you down a rabbit hole. Look up. American white nationalism, Jim Crow, Hitler, World War 2 That's going to send you down a rabbit hole. Just Google those terms, and you'll get a better understanding as to what happened. And it'll also help you, you know, you pull up the right articles. It'll tell you what happened to the Mexicans in California and how they unionized and how they were fighting back, but everything they had to go through, you know, having acid thrown on them, it it was just horrible what they had to endure, you know, and a lot of what's happening when the slaves were so-called emancipated, a lot of people don't know about, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act and how Chinese people were brought to this country to do the work that the slaves Are no longer doing But since I'm sending you down the rabbit hole I need you to go and look up About the fights that would happen Between the slaves and the poor white people But also look up The the, the you know The unity in some In some cases of the slaves And the poor white people And the uprisings and the rebellions On the slave plantation <sighs> Alright y'all so let me catch my breath for a second, but there are a number of articles out there. Um, white nationalism is now a global threat. Again, white nationalism is now a global threat. That's on PRI.org, PRI.org. And on Slate.com, El Paso, or after El Paso, right-wing terrorists have killed more people on U.S. soil, Right? After El Paso, right-wing terrorists have killed more people on U.S. soil. That's on Slate.com. So I'm bringing all of this up to say that you all need to pay attention to what's happening in these other countries and how we, America, CIA, and some of these other groups that have three letters and groups that I don't know exist but I know exist, that are out there and influencing these other countries, right? Right? And the globalization of white supremacy. You can find that on publicseminar.org. Again, publicseminar.org, the name of this article, The Globalization of White Supremacy. Read that to get a better understanding of what's happening because this is being done on purpose because what's happening is the white population is declining. And as a matter of fact, you have white men committing suicide. You know, the suicide rates have gone up for white men. Suicide rates have gone up for black children and teens as well. But in regards, they don't understand why white people are dying. They don't understand why white people are committing suicide. And again, this is where, you know, the conversation of class, where it intersects with the conversation on race. But right now, I'm going to talk about the class aspect of it. Let's just call it what it is. White people in America especially have been pretty much given everything that they have. They want to tell you that they worked hard and earned it. No, we worked hard under the whip, under the threat of, you know, imprisonment and all of that. We worked hard to make you rich. Go back and look up homesteading and how white people were given land, and they're still being given land. It's just that a lot of black people aren't hip to what's going on out there. Even with the current administration, what they're doing is they're looking at different properties, ones that used to be resorts and you know tourist destinations, and if they are no longer functioning at full capacity as they did in their heyday, you have people like Jared and other folks, white people, buying that property for a dollar or next to nothing and redeveloping those properties. But to bring it into, you know, bring all of this into context, white people are having a hard time financially. And this is what, you know, when we talk about the middle class, the middle class was created, again, by the state. And it was primarily white people, working class white people, working class and to a certain degree poor white people. And what's happened is they've gotten crushed. Your paycheck is somewhat the same there's you know Trump is trying to say that each household he increased the 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 salary by seven thousand dollars a year, which is a lie. but let's just say your your salary stayed the same where you got you know a two percent raise here and there. The price of everything else has gone up. Renting an apartment, that has gone up incredibly. Food has gone up. need you to pay attention. What was once a 20-ounce container of whatever is now a 12-ounce, but you're still paying the same price. What used to have six Ding Dongs now only has five Ding Dongs. Pay attention, okay? And so this is what's happening. The middle class is being crushed. And you know I you know I, I know I'm gonna have some people you know inboxing or emailing me talking about capitalism and how this is how it works. No, that's bullshit because before capitalism was you know implemented, we had the feudal system, right? So we had feudalism, and people didn't think that capitalism would work. so now you have people out here talking about socialism and cap i'm sorry socialism and communism now me myself I'm not for the communist type of society right because there's a lot that goes along with that and you know I encourage you to go out there and read it but Socialism. You have a lot more people talking about socialism. You may have seen the articles out there that basically you have a lot of white Christians and pastors and all of that telling their people and their congregations to not register young people to vote. Young adults, telling them not to register the young adults because a lot of the young adults are now looking at socialism. A lot of the young adults are now trying to implement, well, you know, what some of us would say a level playing field, but no, you know, these young white people out here, they're just as racist as their parents. They've been raised to be that way. You know, I hear white people saying that they have hope in the future because of the young people. Pay attention to what's going on out here, you know, and so they're trying to get a better life for themselves, which is why you see them saying, okay, boomers, because the boomers, you know, in in their eyesight, screwed them over, screwed over all of us. But anyway, you see a lot of people talking about socialism, which is one of the reasons why they fear Bernie Sanders, and to a certain degree. They fear Elizabeth Warren. I posted an article over on my Reddit page. If you want to go to reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T dot com slash r slash black freethinkers, B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S, I have a forum on Reddit, and I post over there like nobody's business. You can find a lot of this stuff over there, and if it's not there yet, it will be tonight, right? But, you know, talking about socialism, so Elizabeth Warren, I posted an article in which she says that capitalism could work in this country, right? And I haven't really had a chance to really read it and go through it. But, you know, go out and read it. But I believe, you know, what she was saying is that we can combat racism without eliminating capitalism. Now, I'm trying to understand how that works, which is why I need to go and read that article even more, do some research on what she's saying out there, but generally, capitalism and racism are tied together, and it's going to be hard to get rid of the racism without getting rid of the capitalism, so that's why I want to go and read her argument and what she's putting out there, and I'm inviting you to do the same, you know, but um, again, A lot of these beliefs regarding this white pathology, and when I talk about the white pathology, I'm not only talking about the racism, I'm also talking about the sexism, you know, the um, homophobia, the transphobia, the misogyny, and all of that. And that's why we still find it interesting that the majority of white women are willing to back people like 45. And so, right now, you know, I'm going to bring to your attention what's been happening in Europe and basically white well, right wing nationalism. And you can find this on the BBC website. And the title of this article is Europe and Right Wing Nationalism A Country by Country Guide. Now, this was written on the 13th of November, so I haven't had a chance to post this yet. But again, Europe and Right-Wing Nationalism, a Country-by-Country Guide. This is on bbc.com, and it's important for you all to understand what's going on in the rise of nationalism, specifically in Europe. So I know I've brought up Hungary, H-U-N-G-A-R-Y, Hungary, right? And they had a serious-as-white nationalist movement that has been taking place for years over there. And I've brought it up, and again, people didn't want to see it. They didn't want to hear it. They're like, that's happening over there, not here. And it was happening here. It just didn't receive the press that it deserved. Because you got to understand, even with the Obama administration, they squashed a lot of these stories. They did not want the mainstream media reporting on a lot of this, just like 45. And there's a reason for that. They don't want that shit happening here. So you have, you know, Hungary, you have Austria, you have Switzerland, Denmark, Belgium, Estonia, Finland, Sweden, Italy, Spain, France, the Netherlands, Germany, the Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Slovakia, Poland, Greece, Cyprus, and you know, we still got Syria. You you still have the Ukraine. You still have Bolivia. You still have Ecuador. You still have even Puerto Rico, even though they're one of our you know, colonies, if you will. It's a commonwealth, but it's pretty much a colony. And if you go and you read this article, it will tell you a little bit more in depth about what's happening and who the key figures are. Like in Italy, Matteo Salvini, right? And it's talking about, you know, his nationalism and and, and how he came to power. Look at what's happening over in Britain with the Brexit. I can't leave them out. You know, it's happening across, and this is happening on purpose. It's about white control. And one of the best ways for them to do that is for them to talk about the issue of race because I'm trying to remember who I was listening to and who I was talking to and forgive me, but it was a conversation that I was having with someone or hold on a second. No, it was something I listened to. And, you know, this young man was making some really good points. And some of them are points that I've made on this show, but again, you know, I'm going to reinforce what I said along with what he said. And, you know, over the years, You've had people trying to find a way to unify, to find a common goal, a common thread, a common way in which they can, you know, identify with others. So you've had these different types of religion. you had these different types of denominations. And, again, at first they thought it was going to be religion until they started having issues with, you know, interpretations and semantics and, you know, all of these different things. Are you oneness, Pentecostal? Are you Trinitarian? You know, all of these different arguments that are out there. So they couldn't solidify as strong of a unification as they wanted, and they tried different things over the years. But the one thing that stuck and remains and continues to guide a lot of these people is race. Race is something you know, you, if you have black or brown skin, you cannot change that. There is not enough skin lightning to change that, especially if you know you, people know who you are. You can try to make yourself lighter, you can try to identify with these other groups if you want. There will still be out there who says, Your mama named you Leroy, and I'm going to call you Leroy. You were born a Negro. And you're going to continue to be a Negro in my eye. That is how that works. And so they have found a way to kind of unify under the guise of race, right? And when you take that and you combine it with religion, but in this case Christianity, what happens is they use that Christianity, they use that religion as a shield. And they try to go back and they try to use scripture in the Bible to justify their actions. And what's interesting is a lot of secular people know the Bible better than Christians. Study after study have shown that, we've shown that back in my day when I would troll, you know, it was interesting. And so, you know, um I'm not even going to get into the conversation that Raina and I had, but it was really interesting. But, you know, it's important that you guys understand these different groups that are out there and how they're rising and how they're all tied together. When Steve Bannon left the White House, basically he was going to all these different countries and opening Breitbart offices. So, you know, they were talking about the conflict with Breitbart and the split with Breitbart and Steve Bannon. To be honest with you guys, I would not believe that. He's just flying under the radar in the background because there is an agenda that has to be fulfilled and that they're building and not only in the United States but everyone else so they're trying to find a way to unify folks and again the clearest easiest way to to unify a lot of these people is through the concept of race race and class because I cannot leave class out of this particular argument here because again you know there's this entitlement there's this privilege That white people have enjoyed and continue to enjoy, and they will kill you and everybody else if you try to take that away. They'll kill themselves if they don't see any way out. That is why, you know, when we talk about the market and the market, you know, guys, don't be fooled. You know, it's being artificially inflated, like I've said over the years. I'm just waiting because this is going to be ugly. This is going to really be ugly. But All of these things are happening for a reason. So you need to know what these groups are, right? You know, you have this one group that's called AFD. And so it says here's the strongest in ex-communist Eastern Germany. And basically their chant is, we are the people, right? So they took that from the anti-communist protest of 1989. And so, you know, some people are like, oh, well, that's not bad. We are the people. They're talking about the people. Well, hmm, the right wing, you know, yeah, they're talking about their own people. So with this here, it's talking about how it's Euroskeptic, right, and Nigel Farage, you know, he was the leader of the U.K.'s Brexit Party, took part, you know, in the 2017 elections and how all of this came together. There are ties here. There are ties to that, there are ties to America and all of that. So that's why you have countries like China and these other places pointing the finger at America, especially with what's happening in Hong Kong. They believe that America and American imperialism is is, you know, basically fueling a lot of those protests. And I need you to pay attention to how these articles are written about that and how it's slanted. Now, Bolivia what happened in Bolivia is Evo Morales was basically kicked out of office. Um, he found he was exiled to Mexico. He found, you know, Mexico said, "Come here, come be with us." But what was happening in Bolivia when he, when Morales was put in office, he started working to help. Everybody, but especially the marginalized groups that had been forgotten and stamped upon and, you know, and just left for dead and even further marginalized. And as time went on, a lot of his – some of his popularity began to wane. However, he was still pretty popular there, but the concepts that he was implementing and putting in place You have countries, you know, imperialist countries like the United States that will not allow that to happen because of what's happening in this country and people questioning things. They consider these people as bad influences, and they don't want that happening. And so what they do is they go over there, and they plant their people. They'll plant, you know, these particular ideologies and put people there to get the people riled up. This is what happened. And so there's an article on workers.org, again, workers.org, why U.S. imperialism hates Evo Morales, right? And in this particular article, they made some really, really good points. And, you know, they especially wanted you to take a look at Evo Morales' um, talk, their speech that he gave at the United Nations on September 24th. And with that in- in particular, it talks about why the U.S. State Department Department in the, in the CIA targeted this guy. And it's important that you understand that. And then once you read that and get an understanding of that, I need for you to understand why they cannot and will not happen in this country, which is one of the reasons why they're introducing um, Deval Patrick and Bloomberg into this fight. But what I don't think they realize is that even by putting in Deval Patrick and Bloomberg, what's going to happen is those two are going to take votes away from Biden. And at this point, the way it's looking is if that happens, it's a real good chance Bernie Sanders is going to be the Democratic national um, nomination, he's going to get the Democratic nomination, which is not something that they want either but I don't think they understand what's happening, what they're doing right there. So it's interesting because, I mean, Biden is losing popularity, and there's a lot of black and brown people that absolutely will not vote for him. And I need for you all to understand what's happening with these Jedi mind tricks with the media. They're up here putting out these stories like, oh, well, the black people support Biden because he was, you know, Obama's right-hand man. These are mind tricks. They're trying to trick you into believing that black people across the board support Biden, and that's not true. You know, and so, you know, they put out these other articles out here basically talking about how the young adults and the youth are looking at the boomers and saying, why are you voting for this guy, especially because he was one of the authors of the crime bill and and his stance on on school busing or, you know, desegregation of the schools. And I'm talking about Biden. And some of these articles are put out there to create conflict. And I need you to understand that because there's a lot of propaganda in the American news, and it has been – they've been doing this since, you know, they were able to put news shows on a the TV. They've been doing that since the first newspaper came out. Understand that. And they're trying to control how you think, who you should vote for, how you should think, what you should be for, and what you should not be for. And it's important that you understand this, right, and understand why they are following this particular course of action. So go and, you know, you, you read this. And, you know, right here is talking about the multilateral systems deterioration. Read about that. Understand what's happening. Um, Understand what's happening with the U.N., how the, you know, 45 administration will not allow anyone from the U.S. to sit on the committee talking about racism in the U.N. They have not sent anyone, and they will not send anyone to sit on that committee from the United States. There's a reason for that. Okay? And so... Again, you know, with this particular article, it talks about military spending and world poverty. It's important for you all to understand that too, but you need to understand who benefits from the military spending, who it profits, why we have so many wars, what, you know, what you know, fuels those wars, and how all of that is tied to the economy and money, and poverty, and how it sets up opportunities like what happened with 45 in Ukraine, was coming out. You know, 45 knew that he was going to allow Russia to come in, and he knew he was going to allow Erdogan to go over there and, 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 and basically run over Syria. But he was trying to shake these leaders down and get something out of the process before he, you know, moved away and allowed these other despots to go and terrorize these people. He was trying to get something out of it for himself or his his colleagues or, you know, his, you know, sycophants, right? And when I say sycophants in this respect, I'm talking about the people who benefit Financially and politically from his decisions, you need to understand that. You need to understand how poverty is created. There's a permanent underclass, why that has to be. You know, you have to have an under, unemployment or underemployment rate at a certain amount for our economy to not go belly up. So, again, this goes back into, you know, micro and macro economics and how our system is set up, how capitalism is set up in this country and how it's spread around the world and why a lot of these situations are the way that they are and how they're created and who benefits from that. People not being able to buy property a home or some land or what have you. There's a benefit to that to white landowners and these white corporations that have bought up a lot of property. You need to go and look up these white corporations that bought up a lot of property after 2007 and 2008 housing bubble. You'd be amazed. Some of Trump's friends, you know, um, that have benefited from that. You know, there are people who profit from poverty and misery of others, especially in America with the poverty and misery of black and brown people. They make a lot of money from that, and they're setting up some of these churches to do the same thing because some of these churches will demand that you become a member or you listen to their sermon or whatever before they feed you or help you with any damn thing. And that's why I point the finger at some of these people and secular communities, because you're not doing shit. You're not really doing shit to help anybody. As a matter of fact, in some cases, you're making it worse. But the, end, but the root of the problem is, again, capitalism and the, and the system, the way that it's set up. out, And there's this article on New York Times. Bolivia Crisis Shows the Blurry Line Between Coup and Uprising, which is a really good article. And I told you about the White Power Ideology article. Um, White Power Ideology, why El Paso is part of a uh, growing global threat, right? I'll read that again. White Power Ideology, why El Paso is part of a growing global threat, all right? And another one. White terrorism shows stunning parallels to Islamic State's rise. Again, white terrorism shows stunning parallels to Islamic State's rise. And you can find that on New York Times, right? So, you know, I know you're like, why is she giving us all these articles? Because I want you to read them. I want you to read them. I want you to get what you need out of them. But when when you read these things, again, I've stated on this show over the years that we need to look at a lot of these things more globally. And unfortunately, with a lot of these white Christians, especially these white Christian Republicans or you know, conservatives, and I even throw moderates, these Democratic moderates and many of these Democratic progressives are nothing but republican light. You know, Joe Biden basically is a Republican. The same thing for Obama. A lot of people don't want to believe that when we say these things, but Obama pretty much was a Republican. You have a number of Republicans that run for office under the Democratic ticket because they know they will not be elected as Republican. You know, um, and, and that's just how it is. And you need to learn how to read between the lines. And we need to get out there and question these people. But, you know, again, all of this is tied together. You know, it's not necessarily coincidence. But, again, you know, going back to why you aren't seeing a lot of black and brown people up here in the streets is because when we were talking about issues that pertain to us in our community, there weren't a lot of white people that showed up. There There were some white people that showed up. And we appreciate that, but, you know, the majority of them, not so much. And even with some of the brown people, you know, some of the conversations that I've had with some, you know, like Latinx folks, Hispanic folks, what have you, and they were saying, well, why are the black people making such a big deal out of this? Just be quiet and live your life and take what's given to you. That's how that works. The only reason why the United States is a democracy is because black people made it one. And even now, to be honest with you, we don't live in a democracy per the Constitution. We live in a, a limited republic. You know, because I've had arguments with people saying that this country is a democracy. No, not necessarily. It's a limited republic, and you need to understand the terminology and what it means and how it relates. But the concept of democracy was basically formulated and defined by the black people in this country. You have Hubert Henry Harrison, one of my, you know, one of my heroes, and he was a Marxist, you know, he followed the works of Karl Marx, and he basically talked about how the touchstone of America is the black community or the state or the condition of the black community, and that is true. And there's this young man, Cedric Robinson, we lost him, I think in 2015 he passed on, but he he has a book talking about um, black socialisms, and and I hate, I'm going to have to pull up Amazon, y'all, wasn't trying to do that, but, you know, Cedric Robinson, and he talks a lot about socialism and, and Marxism, yeah, he was about black Marxism in America. That concept is not new to black and brown communities. This has been prevalent, so, you know, it's important that you guys understand that and do some research. Dr. Chris Cameron, who wrote a book called Black Freethinkers, I'm doing an interview with him um, Wednesday, and I'll release it, but when when I talk to him, I'm going to bring up Hubert Henry Harrison and some of the, you know, the, the, the black people from the Renaissance in that particular area um, we will be talking about um, – You know, I know I'm going to bring up about um, Hubert Henry Harrison. I'm going to bring up some information about James Foreman. I'm going to bring uh, about Langston Hughes, James Baldwin, and a number of other people like um, A. Philip Randolph and the Marxist ties that we have there. You know, his book is about freethinkers and atheists and humanists throughout the years, you know, the black ones. And, yeah, we're going to talk about Claudia Jones. I'm just trying to give you a heads up, but I'm definitely going to talk about the, the thread of Marxism in a lot of these communities and why it's still here now. And I've done a show on this before, but I'm going to do another show talking about black Marxism and the thread of socialism and communism and, you know, the people – You know, these, and and it's important that you guys understand this. And, you know, where some black Christians or the black church got in trouble, you know, after Martin Luther King was assassinated, you had many people in the black church that picked up or say that they picked up the mantle of the civil rights movement. And that's problematic because the civil rights movement was not a religious movement. I used to say that it was a secular movement, and I was corrected by um, this professor, right? And this was actually at the Black Lives Matter conference that they had in Cleveland in 2015. And, you know, he explained how it was a people's movement. And, you know, after he explained it, it made proper, it made sense. And so it was a people's movement because, you know, I understand why it's labeled a people's movement is because you want to be inclusive. And, and, you know, you had criticisms of the black church because people thought that the black church was not getting out there and protesting and, and, and lifting their voice and supporting the activists and protesters that were out there. And I've explained this many times. I'm going to explain it again now. The percentage of black Christians that you saw out there with the Black Lives Matter and all these other movements that took place over the past, um, you know, we'll just say the past seven years, that coincided or paralleled what was taking place during the black power and the civil rights movement. It was only a small percentage of Christians that were openly and outwardly out there protesting and marching with the black power movement and the civil rights movement. So, you know, what they did with these more current movements, that was about right. Because if you go back, they absolutely hated Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X. And when I say they, I'm talking about white people. You know, but you also had a percentage of black churches and black pastors and black Christians who disliked them as well because they were rocking the boat. And even now, you have some people that are out here saying, why can't you just be happy with what you have? So I didn't just get that from brown people. I got that from some black people, too, as well as some white folks, you know, and when I bring up these things and post the articles. I would have some white folks saying race baiter, and it was just interesting because I remember Raina and I specifically brought up the white nationalism that was taking place in a lot of these secular communities. People didn't believe us, and then a few years later, acting like they discovered something after you critiqued us for calling the shit out. And I'm not leaving out the black nationalists. You have a lot of them, too, and they speak the same message as the white supremacists. One wants it in white face, the other one wants it in black face, but it's the same fucked up ass message. And you need to understand that, and you need to re- and you need to learn how to combat it. You need, you know, it's, you know. I know some of the um, white libertarians when they do call the show, and after they say a few sentences, oh, I can immediately identify them, and it catches them off guard. It's because I read your material. I understand your talking points, and I also understand how to bring them down. I'm not argumentative. I'm not confrontational. I don't debate. So I've had people say, Kim, will you let them talk a little bit too long and blah, blah, blah. Look, I allow people to get their thoughts out until it gets to be too harmful, which is why I had to make that statement on last Sunday's show. We support the LGBTQ community. We support the trans community, all of that. And so while you, some of you out there, you may not support them, but you agree with some of my platform, take what you need and use that because I can't please everybody. You know, and again, me stating that I do not support these mainstream movements for the most part, that's true. I will never support these white movements again. And the reason for that is because they have not dealt with the issues within their own community. You know, some of the most virulent races I've ever met were gay, white gay men. Absolutely horrible. And some of the most vicious, evil women that I've met have been white feminists. They're not dealing with the racism and all this other shit in their own communities. And, and so anyway, you know, I have my reasons. And it's just so interesting because people are like, well, they're not going to invite you to their shit. I'm like, I didn't want to go. How can you not invite me to something that I wasn't trying to be a part of? That makes no logical sense. And that's one of the reasons why certain groups don't necessarily come after me, because you have absolutely nothing you can take from me. You can't get me fired. You can't intimidate me. I have enough money to sue the shit out of you. And I don't give a fuck what you think. And I want absolutely nothing from you. So sit on my middle finger and spin, bitch. And that's my attitude on that. And some people say, oh, that's a bad attitude. Fuck you. Fuck your respectability politics. Fuck all that bullshit. You know, when I do go to speak, I won't take the money. I make them give the money to organizations of my choice, and they are usually the blackest, most radical organizations I can find. And if you invite me now, again, I've told you I don't really care for it. I don't care for sitting there and talking to a group of old white people. You go to these things, and all I see is a sea of white, white and gray and white. They know what's happening. They know how they, what part they played in it. They understand what's happening, but they feel as though if they, call, they come and they listen to me or some other black or brown person come listen to us speak, then they've done their part. No, the fuck you have not. It's patronizing and it's demeaning, especially when I know when you walk out that door, you're not going to do anything else. And especially since I've come to realize and understand that a lot of these conferences and conventions are nothing but fronts for these people to do whatever it is, and that's their business, after, you know, they sit there and listen to you and humor you for an hour or two, right? And I just think it's pitiful. And this is one of the reasons why you see the same people. Like, why do we keep seeing the same people over and over? That's because that same group of people are fucking each other. That's why. You know, but I'm not going to get into that. We're going to move on. But, um, you know, this white Christian terrorism, you know, is spread worldwide. And, you know, even beyond that, westernized Christianity is very lucrative, extremely lucrative. Which is why they're taking it to places like Africa and India and you know, these other poor and 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 rising communities. You know, and when I say rising, I'm talking about different, you know, countries that are now becoming economic powerhouses in their own right, right? And you need to understand this This is why I talk about economics, you know, on a global scale, why I tell you all to watch different things and to pay attention because it's all tied in together and it overlaps, which is why when I talk about these different things, which is why I bring up Venn diagrams to kind of show you the overlap in all of that, you know, And, um, you know, one day maybe I'll talk about matrices and, and, you know, how that can be used and to explain some of the shit that we're seeing and that we're dealing with. But, again, you know, the white church and white Christianity, as far as the Americanized version of white Christianity – Um, It's about money. It's about fear, oppression, money, control, power. And, you know, when I take that particular platform of white Christianity, that has been implemented in the black community. So when I say that, we already know the way that Christianity is taught in this country is white supremacy. This is a given. Now, it's a matter of the interpretation that varies which is why you can have white people and black people in a room listening to the lecture and come away with two different messages. There's a reason for that, right? But I'm just going to take the, you know, the, the Americanized white Christianity, and that particular pyramid scheme was dropped off into black and brown communities, and that is where the prosperity gospel came from. That word of faith gospel comes from the Americanized white Christian pyramid scheme. And that's one of the reasons why they've had a hard time in this country unifying people under religion Because the messages are so different that it's hard to find common ground. It's hard to find that common thread, that kindred spirit, if you will, right? But it all boils down to race. And unfortunately, when you get people like Kanye, yeah, I said I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm talking about the prosperity gospel. If you aren't familiar with what's happening with Kanye, he is playing this, he is playing the American public like a fiddle. And today, he's at Joel Olsting's church. So, you know, I haven't had a chance to look. I haven't had anything to eat yet. We're going to get up. We're going to – I need to wash my hair. That takes an hour, so we're going to do that tomorrow. But I need to get up, get some food before I go and find them videos because they're going to be out there. And I can already say that, you know, when we see these videos and we see the Old Olsen congregation, which is a damn stadium, it's going to be lit. And when I say lit, I mean they're going to be raising their hands in the air and waving them like they just don't care. We already know that's what's getting ready to take place. And, again, this is an inroad into the black community, specifically the black Christian community. And the same thing that I talk about with the secular community and the inroad into the black community. Unfortunately, you have a lot of black nationalists that are being upheld by the secular community. Why? Because the message is the same. Patriarchy white supremacy, only in blackface, but it's the same bullshit, sexism, all of that shit, racism, because a lot of these black nationalists, nationalists, excuse me, a lot of these black nationalists are the best white supremacists you will ever find. They believe the same shit. And with a lot of them, I was saying earlier about, you know, a lot of these Black Republicans, conservative black Republicans, they will tell you the only thing that matters is what's happening in this country. Don't fall for it. Don't believe it. Because that shit spreads like an infection. And this is what you're seeing now. So now you have black and white Americans saying, we've never seen anything like this. What is happening? How did we get here? We have been warning you. And this is not new. This was happening even before we started warning you. And this is one of the reasons why black people are light years ahead of white people when it comes to, you know, certain issues and our understanding of certain issues. Now, you know, it 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 empowers them to try to make us feel like we're stupid and uninformed and uneducated. Don't believe that. White people can be wrong, know that they're wrong, but they're confident that you don't know either, and they're confident that you can't present a cogent, strong counter argument. And that's one of the things that upsets and enrages me, especially when I see. You know, other black and brown people undermining, undermining other black and brown people because they can profit from it. And you need to understand that there are a lot of people out here. It's all about the money. And some of these so-called white allies are not allies. Some of them are put in place to keep an eye on you. You need to know that. And a lot of these communities have been infiltrated. If you pay attention, it's always the same particular group of people causing all of the chaos and havoc. Pay attention. So, man, I can just go on with this forever, but I know people got things to do. And this is a lot to try to go over, but, you know, again, I'll read off the name of these articles again just so that um, you guys can go out and look them up. And then I'm going to give off the name of some books. So, Why Aren't People in the U.S. Rising Up Like Those Elsewhere in the World, CommonDreams.org. Again, CommonDreams.org, you can find the article, Why Aren't People in the U.S. Rising Up Like Those Elsewhere in the World, on time.com, again, time.com, America's lost value, I'm sorry, America's lost ba- battle against white nationalist terrorism. Again, America's lost battle against white terrorists. white nationalist terrorism. America's lost battle against white nationalist terrorism. Sorry about that. Sometimes, you know, my tongue and lips do not agree with each other. On um, the Atlantic.com, again, the Atlantic.com. White Nationalism's Deep American Roots, again, White Nationalism's Deep American Roots, PRI.org, PRI.org, White Nationalism is now a global terror threat, White Nationalism is now a global terror threat, Slate.com, again, Slate.com, after El Paso, right-wing terrorists have killed more people on U.S. soil after el paso right wing terrorists have killed more people on us soil and to, you know to expound on that a little bit the greatest threat in america are these right wing terrorists well basically right wing white christian terrorists they are the ones they just prevented and stopped a couple of um, mass shootings that they were planning you know to take place And one was at a synagogue, and they were able to get to the person before he did it. And these are angry white men, and in some cases, angry white identified men. Some of them are brown folks, but they've been let into the white gram, right? So they're ethnic whites or honorary whites, however you want to put that. Yeah, it pisses you off when I call you ethnic and honorary whites, but that is what you are and you are only considered white to, to basically uplift white supremacy. And see, this is the thing where people get mixed up and don't understand. White supremacy is not put in place to uplift white people or the white race. White supremacy is in place to be anti-black, anti-brown. But if they can adopt some of the brown people and the yellow people and the red people, if they can adopt you into the honorary white then Graham, or you know into that group then you will do their bidding for them because it is understood and you understand clearly that in order for you to continue to enjoy certain white privileges you have to be anti-black and or anti-brown and you know some of the you know necks and mestizos and other people that i've run across it just absolutely astounds me especially when some of them are as dark as me but you don't like black people? How the fuck does that work? And then also, I understand your history, and it usually floors them when I talk about that black great-great-grandmother that they don't want to talk about. And the same thing is for, like, Iranians and Iraqis and all of them and the Palestinians. They have Afro-Palestinians, Afro-Iranians, Afro-Iraqis. afro They have those communities. but Those communities are hidden. For a reason. So anyway, let me get back to the article thing before I get to going off again. Publicseminar.org. Again, publicseminar.org, The Globalization of White Supremacy. Again, The Globalization of White Supremacy. On the BBC website, Europe and Right-Wing Nationalism, A Country-by-Country Guide. Again, that's on a bbc.com. Europe in right-wing social. I'm sorry, Europe in right, right-wing nationalism, a country-by-country guide. The next one is on FAIR.org, and I, I told you about this last week. The revolution isn't being televised. Again, the revolution isn't being televised, FAIR.org. Why U.S. imperialism hates Evo Morales, and this is on workers.org. Again, workers.org. Why U.S. Imperialism Hates Evo Morales, Bolivia Crisis Shows the Blurry Line Between Coup and Uprising, that's on New York Times, again, New York Times, Bolivia Crisis Shows the Blurry Line Between Coup and Uprising, on Com, White Power Ideology, Why El Paso is Part of a Growing Global Threat. Again, white power ideology, why El Paso is part of a growing global threat. And white terrorism shows stunning parallels to Islamic State's rise. You can find that on New York Times. Again, New York Times, white terrorism shows stunning parallels to Islamic State's rise. Now, I didn't really touch a lot on that, but again – There are a lot of parallels, and that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of this, you know, Islamophobia, right? And, you know, some of it is based on the fact that, yeah, there are some parallels, there are some things that are overlapping, but again, they want it in blackface. And one of the reasons why they hate, you know, Muslims and Islam so bad is because it's a black and brown Religion primarily a black and brown religion that they have not figured out how to manipulate and exploit yet because you know these people will martyr themselves which means they don't give a shit about killing white folks and that's a threat and so so I won't forget when I gave you all the definition of imperialism and colonialism that came from internationalrelations.org. again international colonialism versus imperialism. So that's where you will find that type of thing. And for shits and giggles, let me throw in this other article. I haven't had a chance to read this fully yet, so I'm just throwing it out there. But this is on newrepublic.com. Again, newrepublic.com, the forgotten Christian terror cult that presaged Trump's memes. Again, the forgotten Christian terror cult that presaged Trump's memes. So, you know, and again, I gave you all some keywords to go and look up so that you can get a better understanding um, of what's happening. And again, you know, research, you know, trust but verify. Research what I'm telling you. I have no problem with that, you know. And so let me see here. Let me go to my digital orders list let you guys know what's in my Audible and Kindle list. And it's here, says here for the past six years, six months. Well, come on, I've ordered a shitload. So let's see what I've done in 2019 alone. the damage. You know, I do buy these books. And the reason why I buy these books is because I like to support, you know, these academics and all of that. But with the new show that I'm trying to put together, we're going to change some stuff around and – um you know, it's, it's going to be different. So let's see here. I have Evicted Power and Profit in the American City. Again, Evicted Power and Profit in the American City. This is written by Matthew Desmond, Dion Graham, right? So Matthew Desmond and Dion Graham. I have Home Records How a Gang of Wall Street Kingpins, Hedge Fund Magnets. Crooked banks and vulture capitalists suffered millions out of their homes and dem- demolished the American dream. Again, home records how a gang of Wall Street kingpins, hedge fund magnates, crooked banks, and vulture capitalists suffered millions out of their homes and demolished the American dream. This was written by Aaron Glantz and Paul Bellatoni. And let's see down here. Uh, Let's see here. One Nation Under God, How Corporate America Invented Christian America. Again, One Nation Under God, How Corporate America Invented Christian America. And this was written by Kevin M. Cruz and Jeff Cummings. Right here, Kiyanga Yamada Taylor, Race for Profit, How Banks and the Real Estate Industry Undermine Black Home Ownership. Again, race for profit, how banks and real estate industry undermine black home ownership and this was written by kianga Yamada taylor and lordy i I bought a lot of books, you know, and for those of you you know whether you know me or not, let me know. you can borrow some of these audibles and um Kindle books from me. There are ways I can let you all borrow them and read them for a couple of weeks a month or whatever. But um, if you want, just let me know. And I have, you know, regular books, too, you know, the hardback and the soft covers. And, you know, most of my stuff is still in storage. But here we go. We have this here. I'm still here. Black Dignity in the World Made for Whiteness. That's Austin Channing Brown. I'm still here. Black Dignity in the World Made for Whiteness. Um, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Again, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi, Thick by Tressie Cotton, uh, Tressie McMillan Cotton, thickness, right, or thick. Uh, let's see here, Back to Black, Retelling Black Radicalism for the 21st Century. Again, Back to Black, Retelling Black Radicalism for the 21st Century. Century. That's written by Kahende Andrews, again, Kahende Andrews. Race After Technology, Race After Technology, Abolitionist Tools for the New Jim Crow. Now, I have not had a chance to read this, and I have not even had a chance to browse this, but this was written by Ruha Benjamin, Race After Technology. So, um, and that's all I'm going to read for that. Let me see here. What did I get with my physical books? Um, You know, let's see here. What's on this list? I read a couple of them to you. But, um, you know, I read a lot. I read a lot. And um, I enjoy people, you know, um, suggesting books to me as well. I just picked up Introduction to Black Sociology by Robert Staples. And, you know, he's like, I think they call him the grandfather of black sociology. So I picked up that book as well as Black Families at the Crossroads, Challenges and Prospects. Those are physical books that I have, and I haven't had a chance to read them. But the reason why I'm bringing that up, and I know some people are like, well, you know, Kel, why are you bringing all this up? You you need to understand, you know, A lot of these disciplines at these academic institutions, at these colleges and universities, a lot of these disciplines, the majority of them, were built off the backs and the lives and experiences and the misery and even some of the joy and love of black and brown communities. Yet they don't want to give tenure, for the most part, to black and brown academics, you know, but you also have, and here we go. I know it's going to be a few people pissed off at me when I say this, but this is the absolute truth according to me, right? You know, you have a lot of black and brown academics and public intellectuals out here that, you know, get upset because people don't read their books or buy them. And the biggest reason is because you write these books for each other. You write these books to impress each other. And, um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you because it ain't been working and it hasn't been working all this time. And what did Einstein say? Insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result. So, you know, that's something that you all really need to ponder and to think about, and also just to the black and brown and you know the poor white communities you know as well as the red and yellow communities you know you know even poor whites in their communities and their experiences they've built some of these disciplines off of that as well however i will say that there is a reason why there are not whiteness study um programs out there there's a reason for that And James Baldwin used to talk about that quite often. So, um, But, you know, where I find fault with quite a few, not all, but quite a few of these black and brown and white academics and public intellectuals is they are making their living and building their careers off of other folks' misery. Now, okay, it has to be talked about. It has to be written about. But when I say you built a career, I'm not talking necessarily about your dissertation or your thesis or, you know, the talks that you give. I'm talking about how you profit from that. Now, you know, in academia, is publish or perish, right? So they have to publish to keep them damn jobs because the university needs money. And with these colleges and universities, they're extremely top-heavy. You know, the administrative costs are staggering, you know, and especially when you have these university, you know, presidents walking away with a $10 million golden parachute. You know, it's set up the same way as these corporations. And what I'm going to say to the students is, students, you all have the power. Administration is scared of you. They are Of the students rising up, whether it's a college, a university, a high school, or a grade school, they are afraid of the students fighting back and rising up. And you need to understand your power and how you can make a lot of things change. It was the students and student protests and student activists that made companies and corporations and universities in America divest from apartheid in South Africa. You know, it's it's, it's students and student activists that are rising up and forcing these American corporations or, you know, the um, portfolios, retirement portfolios in the universities to divest from investing in for-profit prisons. You need to understand your power, but most importantly, you need to understand how to organize yourselves and how to galvanize that power. And that is something that's happening with these damn white Christian terrorists all over the world. It's not that there are a bunch of them because, you know, it's a percentage, a small percentage of them, so you know we outnumber them, and we've we've demonstrated that when they call themselves having a march on Washington and all this other stuff, we outnumber them, but they outorganize us, and that's one thing that I can give the church in general, the church, especially the black church, knows how to organize, you know, and so um, there's a gentleman by the name of. Albert Cleage, C-L-E-A-G-E, and he was the pastor of Shrine of the Black Madonna based in Detroit, Michigan. That man knew how to organize. And there are many others, you know, but I just thought I'd bring him up because, you know, right now I'm reading a couple of his books. And, um, you know, I know sort of like, Kim, how do you have time to read books? You make time. You freaking make time. And I'm pretty sure there are some people out there that would rather have me reading these books than focusing on their bullshit. But that's a whole different story there. So, you know, we're down to the last seven minutes of the show. Yeah, I made it two hours. I didn't mean to, but you all know what happens when I go off on these tangents. And I'm really going to have to learn how to reduce the show to 45 minutes. And... um. And, you know, we're going to be revisiting some topics. I'm going to be revisiting the stages of grief. And when I revisit it, you know, I'm going to be recording these things so that I can throw it up on YouTube. So finally, we're going up on YouTube. And so when I make it, you know, it'll be a 45-minute, you know, talk specifically about it. And then I'm going to make, like, 10-minute incremental videos to put on YouTube and, you know, chain it, daisy-chain it together so that, you know, you can listen to the whole thing. And people have been trying to get me on YouTube for a while, and one of the reasons why I didn't do it is because I want to be able to walk down the street without people spitting at me or wanting to debate me. Because I tell you this, I'm not going to debate you. It's just not going to happen. I just, I just don't have time for that. But if you want a conversation, then that's fine. We'll do that. And for those of you, you know, look, I'll give you every opportunity to tell you how to contact me. I'm not afraid of people. not afraid of people. It's just that I'm not going to engage fuckery, and I'm not going to participate in it, and I'm not going to co-sign it. You know, what's been interesting over these past several years is that I've had people get angry with me because I refuse the cosign bullshit, and I've called some of it out, and I didn't call it out as deeply as I could have, and I still can and I still gives no fucks. But the ones that are that were trying to guilt me by saying, "Well, we could have so much more if we just work together," and I'm like, "No, that is fucked up, and that is wrong." And so what I see happening in a lot of these communities, you know, like I said, they're mirror images of each other. And with some of these communities, they point the finger at the Christian community about them staying silent and covering things up and ignoring stuff. The same thing is happening over there, too. You're doing the same shit. But I'm supposed to be okay with that? That's never going to happen. So, you know, if you decide you want to contact me again, if you're still on that bullshit, you're going to get cussed out. I'm not going to block you. I'm not going to ignore you. I'm going to tell you about your stank ass and tell you how many different ways you can kiss my ass. But the truth of the matter is I probably won't even say that because you're not even worthy to do that. If you're asking me to compromise my principles, my values, and my ethics as I define them, you define them however the fuck you want for yourself. But as for me and my house, we won't be doing that. And there's no way you can convince me to do it. You ain't got enough fucking money. Because at the end of the day, I have to be able to look in a mirror and I have to be able to sleep. And so it's just really interesting. So, for those of you that are out there, like, yeah, you know, or, you know, she sounds different now. Yeah, because I'm getting proper sleep and nutrition. We're getting my health issues under control. You know, this year almost killed me. This was hard. This was hard. You know, dealing with, you know, family issues, dealing with my health. You know, I'm still, you know, loving and covering, you know, my sister's kids. You know, we lost her a few years ago, you know, broke my fucking heart, you know. And, you know, I talk to the kids here and there. I need to get down to Atlanta so I can see my relatives and go see her kids and save up some money so I can take everybody to dinner and just have some fun and, you know, just enjoy life. Fucking enjoy life. So anyway, next year I know for certain I will be in the south of France. I'll be in Nice, and you know I'm gonna take some time out from what I'm going there for, just to have some relaxation times. And no, I am not climbing the French Alps. I'm gonna stand downstairs or at at the bottom. I'm gonna take a picture and I'll post it on Facebook for y'all because that's not happening. But I will also share you know, what I learned when I'm over there. So uh, I was supposed to go to Belize, but I don't think I'm going to go. I think I changed my mind, Um, especially if, you know, this business thing pans out. You know, I'm going to be needed for what I need to be needed for and to do this thing and then also train some people. So anyway, I just want you guys to know how much I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Whether you agree with me or not, you can hate my fucking guts. And you know what? That's okay. But I don't hate you. Not anymore. It's not worth it. You know, I try to explain to people that when you hate someone, that takes a lot of emotion. You have people who say that hate is the opposite of love when that's actually not true. You know, they're polar opposites, but they are on the same plane the the opposite of love and hate is indifference and i've learned that and which is why i just don't care about certain things or certain people anymore i don't care so i've had a chance to process the drama process the trauma come through center myself center my life center my values center my goals And I was knocked off. My focus was off for a while, but I'm back, motherfuckers. So read them and weep, and yes, I'm coming for you, you, and you. So anyway, y'all, we're getting ready to do this shit. Welcome to the journey. Let's do this. Hit me up. Love you. Take care, and thank you for being a part of your show and allowing me to be a part of your life. All right, y'all, take care. Bye-bye.